The reading tonight is from Song of Songs, chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, and chapter 5, verses 2 to 8. And that can be found on page 679 in your church Bibles. Chapter 3 All night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I looked for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And chapter 5, verses 2 to 8. <clears throat> I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my, no- my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. I have taken off my robe, Must I put it on again? I have washed my feet. Must I soil them again? My lover thrust his hand through the latch opening. My heart began to pound for him. I arose to open for my lover, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh on the handles of the lock. I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but did not find him. I called him, but he did not answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me. They took away my cloak, those watchmen of the walls. O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. Excuse my rather dry throat this evening, it's this uh, dry weather. um, If I were to um, ask you what is the overriding theme of Song of Songs, I guess the answer would have to be love. But of course, love is such a huge concept that you can't do justice to it in one sermon, which is why we're doing a series from Song of Songs. Arguably, the whole Bible is about love. God's love for humankind. But of course, there are different aspects of love. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a book, I'm sure some of you have read that book, called The Four Loves, in which he talks about affection, friendship, eros, and charity. And all of those different types of love are positive. But as with anything in this fallen world, there is a flip side which is not so attractive, and which I'm sure most of us will have known to differing degrees, although... For some here, it may be in the distant past. Let me just give you some of those uh, reminders. Remember that desperate search for love, the feeling that I will never find the right person for me? 
the falling in love, and yet the person you love not actually loving you. Or the breakup of a relationship, for whatever reason, with all the pain that is involved in that. Now, those are more to do with um, romantic or sexual love. And the film Bridget Jones, if you've seen that, captures with great humour the pain and frustration that many single people go through, uh, including having to put up with the insensitivity of those who are in relationships, asking questions like, how's your love life then? That sort of thing. But ultimately, what everyone does need is love, whether it's in the context of marriage or family or friendship. And those who say, well, I don't really need that for myself are usually those who maybe have been hurt themselves, those who are afraid of being hurt again. Because when you do love, you make yourself vulnerable. C.S. Lewis wrote in that book, he wrote, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. If we're not prepared to love, then we will live a sad life. But even if we are prepared to risk love, we will experience tough times. We will experience tragedy, partly because of things beyond our control, where maybe the one who we love is taken from us. But also because human love, good as it may be, does not fully satisfy, since none of us can love anyone else perfectly. We are all inconsistent in our love. And so there is a greater search for love going on here as we read Song of Songs than the search for human love. And that is the human soul searching for the love of God. And that search can be just as much of a roller coaster ride, not due to God's lack of love or his inconsistency in love, but because of our imperfect natures. The years when I backslid in my faith in the early 20s were not years when I simply put God out of my mind and just got on with doing my own thing. You know, there was a constant pulling away on my part and a, a dragging back on his part, coinciding with a pulling and pushing in different human relationships as well. And when we think of those that we know who appear to have once loved God and then to have rejected him, we shouldn't simply seem, assume that they have completely turned their back on him. Now, quite often he will be more in their thoughts than we think. And we need to pray that God would so overwhelm their thoughts and make them so restless that they can't find peace until they come back to God. When we looked at the first couple of chapters in Song of Songs, what was clear was the passion that the beloved has for her lover and vice versa. Chapter 2 ended with a description in verse 16. My lover is mine and I am his. It's that exclusive relationship, as we looked at last week with Jeff. They have eyes for no one else. And that is reiterated here in chapter 3, with the phrase repeated four times in these first four verses of chapter 3. The one my heart loves. The one my heart loves. She knows who she wants to give her heart to. 
These uh, few verses are written in the style of a sort of a dream sequence. I'm not sure the, the getting up and going about the city is a literal getting up out of bed in the middle of the night and, and wandering the streets searching for him. I think it probably more signifies an emotional turmoil going on here. The woman knows what she wants, but she can't find it or can't find him. There's not yet that peace and contentment that comes from a secure, loving, committed relationship. Now, if we were just a minute to, to read this at the human level, um, we would say, oh yeah, that, that happens sometimes. Um, particularly when you first fall in love and you go, or you start to go out with someone. There's that sort of period when you're not quite sure what they really feel about you. You don't want to let yourself um, completely open. And there's that sort of dancing around each other, not being prepared to let each other know how you really might feel because you might frighten them off. And that is the level, I think, of, of a lot of pop songs, isn't it? That sort of almost superficial level of love. But there's something much deeper going on here. There's, as I say, there's this spiritual search going on. And the group, um, U2, a rock group, I think the greatest rock group that there is, that uh, they have captured that spiritual search in a, in a song I'd like to, to play now with a video. Um, it's called I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And it's, in many ways, a paraphrase, a modern-day paraphrase of these verses of Song of Songs. Um, hopefully the, uh, the words of the song will come up uh, subtitles, so let's um, hope it's going to work if the technology allows. Um, we will um, just listen to this for a couple of minutes and pick it up.
Unfortunately, the subtitles didn't work, but hopefully you picked up some of those lyrics there. There's, um, <clears throat> there's a search going on. Um, he talks about climbing mountains, running through fields. He talks about scaling walls, only to be with you. There's a symbolism here that we have in the Song of Songs. There's the, the kissing honey lips. Felt the healing of the fingertips. This burning desire. It's a strong desire for God. It's fortunately they didn't do the third verse, which uh, where the spiritual language is much stronger. It talks about you broke the bonds, you loosed the chains, carried the cross of my shame. You know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. It's almost like um, he's tasted the heavenly gift in the words of Hebrews. He knows what he wants. He knows the one he loves. He knows the one he's searching for, he's yearning for. It's almost a a yearning for heaven where that love will be perfect. Maybe it's a yearning for the sense of his presence. Maybe it's a, he hasn't really felt that presence in his life. But what we are promised in the Bible for all those who seek, it says God shall find him. Proverbs 8 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. Or Jeremiah, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And as Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. We read, um, as we opened the service, of uh, that thirst for God that David expressed. Oh God, you are my God. He knows who his God is. He says, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. But he was also in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I don't think it's just a physical desert he's talking about, but spiritually as well. The first thing we need before we find God is to, to want him, to seek him. <clears throat> and ultimately, if you want to find love, you need to do something about it. Love doesn't just fall into your lap, it requires action. Look what the woman does here, she makes a conscious decision. She says in verse 2, I will get up now and go about the city. Whether that's figurative or not, it's a conscious decision of action. I will search for the one my heart loves. And you could say it's the same for finding a partner today. You know, some may feel uneasy about uh, Christian dating agencies, but I know others here have used them. I don't think there's anything wrong with them. It's being proactive. And for Christians, it may be the only way they will meet somebody else, another Christian of the opposite sex. To find Christ, you have to do something. And we shouldn't underestimate how much it takes for somebody who's not a believer to, to find him, to come into a church building like this, to walk up that path. A number of people have said, before they've done it, to walk up that path is quite intimidating. Um, others have said, to, thinking about Christianity Explored, to come to a group where they're, they're not quite sure what is involved, to expose themselves, um, to open themselves up invulnerably to a group they don't know is a tough thing. I remember when I was seeking or re-seeking the Lord, how hard it was for me to go into a church. It's much easier to go into a large church where you're anonymous than a small church where you can't escape being seen. Now, it doesn't mean that God doesn't sometimes perform quite dramatic conversions of people who had no prior interest at all in him. You know, Saul is the obvious example of that. But normally he'll plant a desire in people's hearts to want to know him. And if you are someone here this evening who does not yet know God, I hope you are here because you want to know him. 
You want to find him. I hope that he has planted in you a seed of desire that makes it impossible for you to keep away. We all know people who have no interest in finding God, who are oblivious to him, who live for other gods, other idols. And that's, that's sad, isn't it? At the end of the day, we can't make people want God. It's like a well-meaning matchmaker introducing you to someone they think is the perfect match, but actually you're not attracted to them at all. But at least matchmakers give you that opportunity that you would not have found for yourself. And that is the same with Jesus. You know, we can't make people want God, but we can introduce them to him. Maybe directly or maybe indirectly. We can talk about him in a way which shows how much we love him. We can show that he's an attractive person worth knowing. Our aim as Christians should be to to introduce others to Jesus Christ. Of course, the actual attraction is the work of God. But let's introduce him through the way we live our lives and what we say about him. Well, as the woman here searches the city, there's a sense that uh, she's worried that she will never find her lover, that she'll be abandoned by him. She's tasted that love and she fears that... um, She'll never have it consummated. Have you seen the one my heart loves? She asks in desperation to the watchman here in verse 3. And later if you flick over, flick over this to, the, to the other side in chapter 5 that Elizabeth read out, read out, the situation is even worse here because it says in verse 6, I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did, but did not find him. I called him, but he didn't answer. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. They beat me, they bruised me, they took away my cloak, those watchmen of the wars. As any parent will tell you who has lost a child for a fleeting a moment, there's a terrible sense of panic that sets in. You can imagine how the parents of Madeleine McCann would have gone round in desperation. Have you seen my child, the one my heart loves? Those pictures of a face still haunt us, don't they? They still fill us with grief. And in their greatest hour of need, figuratively, you could say her parents were, in, this, in the same way here, beaten and bruised by others, by the press, by the Portuguese police. Our hearts still go out to them. They must find it difficult not to give up hope of ever finding her alive again. That fear of the loss of someone we love is a very real experience for all of us. It may be the loss of a child, it may be the loss of a parent, it may be the loss of a spouse, either through death or through abandonment. And while the saying, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all, may help console those who have once known love, it may make the pain actually greater for those who are still looking for love. Those who are thinking, what if I never find love? In the film, Bridget Jones um, has her relationship with, um, I've forgotten the guy's name now, but as it breaks up, in her mind appears a picture of a tombstone. And uh, all it says on it is Bridget Jones, spinster, 1977 to 2050. And the thought fills her mind with dread. Will she go to the grave never having found that true love? But of course, that is all she lives for. She's only living for for marriage, for human love. She can't contemplate a life without a lover. And as we've said before in this series, singleness itself is not a bad thing. 
It can be a real privilege to be set aside by God for work that can be done most effectively by those who are single. But the good news of the gospel is that we don't need to fear that we will never find love. Because Jesus has made it possible for us to be reconciled with the one who shows us perfect love. The love that drives out any sense of fear. Jesus himself was abandoned on the cross. He willingly allowed himself to be abandoned on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he knew that was what his mission was. And he allowed himself to be abandoned so that we don't need to be abandoned. We don't need to go through that experience. Because far, far worse than remaining single for this short time on earth is living in eternity without the love of God. We need never fear that we will never find his love. God is there waiting. He's there knocking at the door of our hearts, wanting us to open it to let him into our lives. We need not fear that we will be abandoned by him. Well, as you read verse 4, you are overcome with a huge feeling of relief for the woman as she finds love and she desperately tries to hold on to it. Verse 4, scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and wouldn't let him go till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. That need for love that is in all of us means that when we find it, we don't want to let it go. The woman takes her lover to her mother's house, possibly because of the security and stability that that conjures up. She wants to keep him there until they get married, until they consummate the marriage. And if we found the thing we've been looking for for so long, why would he not want to hold on to it? You might remember how Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. She finds it empty. And she stands outside crying desperately for her Lord. And when she recognises him there standing in front of her, she, she's hugely relieved and she, she doesn't want him to go. But Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Of course she's returning to the Father, but she, be, she's not being abandoned by him. That love will last forever. However good our intentions are, though, once we have found love, and even if we are committed in a lifelong relationship, we cannot assume that those strong feelings, that passion that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we can't assume that that will always be there. We can't assume that we'll be immune from problems in those relationships. Love can be lost through neglect of those relationships. In the marriage preparation course that we do, there's a session on keeping love alive, uh, which involves developing that sense of friendship and uh, enjoying each other's presence. It involves discovering each other's needs. It means not taking the other person for granted. Because unless we make an effort at marriage, it can become quite easily stale and monotonous. It's also about understanding each other, understanding the differences between the sexes that make us respond to different situations in different ways. But also the differences that make us who we are, the differences in family backgrounds, the differences in our nature and character. There are many reasons why marriages might become difficult. 
And so it's easy to relate to the frustration and the anxiety that the woman here expresses in this passage. And that's the same in our relationship with God. Often we focus so much on people coming to faith, and we rejoice in that, and quite rightly so, but we then maybe neglect to help them grow in that faith. We neglect to disciple them or prepare them for the challenges that they will face in their Christian lives to come. Jesus warns us about the seed falling on the path where the birds eat it up or where the soil is shallow, where there are thorns and it becomes choked. In each case, the faith has not had a chance to put down its roots and the person falls away. In order to hold on to the love that we found in God, we need to acknowledge, first of all, that God and ourselves are different. Sounds obvious, but, you know, we need to say that. He, we are human, he is divine. How often do we, we say that we, we feel God is absent? And it's, it's almost due to us not understanding that he's God, that he is divine, that we are limited in our understanding. We can't see things from his perspective. The fact that he is holy, the fact that he is majestic, the fact that he is all-powerful doesn't mean we can't have an intimate relationship with him. But in this life there will be times when that intimacy is affected by frustration, by anxiety, when we become fearful, when we even become angry at God, when he feels absent to us. The truth is he is committed to us, he wants us to know him in an intimate way. And that is why he entered into this world. That is why he became like us. And as we slowly learn more of his true nature, learn of his character, as we, as we trust in him, even when we see what we think is a lack of care on his part, as we offer more and more of our lives to him, then slowly that fear, that insecurity begin to disappear and they're replaced by a peace and a contentment. The more we yearn for that permanent intimacy, the more we yearn to be with him in heaven. As John testifies in Revelation, as I finish with these, this verse, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them, and be their God.